Jennifer Batley is the founder of Batley Advisory, an independent consultancy advising C-level teams at scaling companies on operations and customer growth. Jennifer is currently serving as chief of staff for Masterpiece Studio and also leads strategic digital and customer transformation projects for differently clients. She's also a SASCAN strategic advisor, an Elspark mentor, and a Leap advisor. So I'm Lauren Thibodeau, and I'm joined by co-host Alan Villa, Clipfolio co-founder and CEO. Welcome, Jen, and thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Hi, Jen. So today we're talking about uh, NPS, or Net Promoter Score. So it's a pretty well-known survey tool. It's been around for a while, but maybe let's set the stage first. So what is this metric all about? Who should be using it? What's the context before we dive into some of the the, the nitty-gritty details? <laughs> Lots of questions in that question. Uh, you're right. Net Promoter Square has been around since really the early 2000s. So it's, it's a, a metric that's got legs. Uh, and it is one of the most widely used metrics in the space of customer experience or growth. Um, you know, so it's got a lot of advantages that, that come with it. I really think about Net Promoter Score as one of the metrics that companies can use to really keep the, their finger on the pulse of their customer experience. Because it's giving you a sense of what the question is, is likelihood to recommend. So you're getting a, a sense of how committed or passionate are customers feeling towards your company or your brand. And it gives you a lot of information really for a single question uh, because you're able to see who are your promoters. Those are the people who are responding most favorably, as well as who are your detractors, who are the people at the other end. And that can give you a lot of insight into what are the kinds of things that you should be amplifying as you promote your company and your brand. And where are the places that you really need to look to drive improvement? Uh, so that's kind of net promoter in a in a nutshell. Why don't we actually just define that a little bit more? So you you mentioned promoters, you mentioned detractors. I, I know that there's a formula in there somewhere. Um, how does it actually you know hit the ground? Yeah, that's a really great question. And you know, one of the reasons why people love net promoters so much is because it's seen as this simple question. That's easy to ask, which it is, and easily benchmarked, which is a little fuzzier. Um, but the way the question is designed, it, it is one question. It's essentially how likely would you be to recommend a company or a brand? It's meant to be asked on a scale from zero to 10, which is a little bit of an unusual scale. And that's where things can start to fall apart a little bit in terms of consistency and how people deploy it. But the idea is it's a zero to 10 scale. Uh, your customers respond, and if they respond as a 9 or a 10, they're a promoter. If they're a 7 or 8, they're a passive. And if they're in that 0 to 6 range, then they're a detractor. The score itself is calculated by taking your percentage of promoters and subtracting the percentage of detractors. Uh, so you get the ratings, you run that simple subtraction calculation, and that gives you your net promoter score. Because it's calculated in that way, you can have a range of net promoter scores uh, in theory from minus 100 all the way to plus 100. Uh, most of the scores sit more in the positive range usually. <laughs> and I think average is kind of in that 30 to 40% range. 
That's a great question. You mentioned the 30 to 40% range being sort of the average. Um, in the today's world where really, you know, it costs more to market to, to gain users, there's some movements around really driving customer loyalty and virality as a way to attract clients. So in that context, what would you be looking to see on an NPS metric? Yeah, one of the questions people get a lot is, you know, what's, what is a good net promoter score? I would say the sort of standard answer is over 40 is good. But we all hear about companies like the Apples of the world who are way up there in the 80s. Um, and there are other industries that are, are much lower. So you need to be a little careful about thinking about what's my net promoter target and really slice that to look at what's, what's typical in my industry. When we think about uh, companies that are driving growth through this idea of virality or network effects who are really looking to activate that recommend engine and that advocacy engine to drive new customer acquisition, they really do need to be looking for much higher net promoter scores. Uh, so really looking up into that, uh, you know, 60, 70, 80% range. If you look at someone, think about someone like Peloton, who has had both a lot of success and hit some bumps more recently, but they were pretty public about wanting to be the first company to hit a 100 NPS score. They got pretty close. I've seen them up as high as, you know, 90, 91, 92. I'm not sure where they are right now, but that is a company that has really driven a lot of initial traction through this recommend engine. The other thing it's doing for them is serving as an indicator. And for a lot of companies, serving as an indicator of really the stickiness of their customer base. So even if it's not translating through to actual recommendations, which doesn't always happen depending on your uh, product or the, the industry you're in. It is a good measure of how passionate are customers and how attached are they to your product or your brand. And that can give you a good sense of uh, retention. So yes, likelihood to recommend is really an outcome that should drive new customer acquisition, but it can also stand in as a proxy for retention of your customer base or your revenue base. So, I mean, you just mentioned virality, you mentioned, you know, churn or retention, you know, those are behavioral metrics and, and those can be measured, you know, by actual, you know, folks doing things as opposed to a survey based uh, data source. Are, are those the metrics like the virality, the K factor or the retention or, or expansion and things like that? Are those the metrics that you should actually be looking to prove or to validate what you're seeing in your survey-based NPS data? Yeah, yeah. I love that question and that, that line of thinking because the, the survey data, especially something like Net Promoter, that's a likelihood question, it's an intention to behave. And so it can, it can give you really a signal or an early indicator of what should be happening. What you really want to do is then attach that intention to actual behavior. So if you've got a, a rich enough data set and a structure in place where you can start to link what did a customer say they were going to do to what did they actually do, that's really the ideal situation. And you can start to identify whether it's at the individual level or at the aggregate total customer base or segment level, what is the lag between uh, fluctuations in your net promoter score 
and outcomes in your business in terms of either acquiring customers and building your revenue, or if you're seeing your net promoter score go down, you get some of those early warning signals that we may have a churn problem coming up. We really are going to need to step in and take action to prevent that from happening. Are there certain best practices? Because again, this is a survey-based instrument. Are there certain design principles or have you seen the implementation of the question? Uh, I'll, I'll give you an answer. I'll, I'll give you a question, uh, uh, an observation a while ago. We, had, we were actually using an NPS score where the first line was, you know, one to five. And then the second line was, you know, six to 10. And it was actually below the fold. You know, and people were not seeing the the five to ten, right? So, I mean, that that's a really, you know, really obvious and bad design. But are there things that, you know, you would recommend or have you seen things that are just, you know, try to avoid these things when designing this survey? Yeah. I mean, again, in in theory, there it, there's a very prescriptive method for how you ask this question and, and how you go out with it. In practice, people do a lot of things and they may seem like little things, but they do affect the robustness of the data, the confidence that you can have in it and your ability to compare. So whether it's changing the scale or the way the scale appears visually on the screen, mm. uh, you know, I've seen companies where the nine and 10 is in green and the zero to six is in red, which uh -huh. is a little yeah, message yeah. about yep. what's good and, and what's not. You know, some of those things come into play. Other things to think about when you're deploying it, it is meant to be a relationship measure or a measure of loyalty to a brand. So it's not, it's really a holistic measure. It's not the kind of metric that should be asked about every product you offer. It's not a, how likely are you to recommend our support team? You shouldn't ask it right after mm -hmm. onboarding. You want to make sure that you're asking it of customers kind of separate from a recent transaction and really thinking holistically about their relationship with your company overall. The it's, other thing or, I would say, sorry. I was, so you, you just, you just mentioned time. So I'm going to yep. keep, keep your thought going, but I've got a question about when to sort of, uh, you know, put this in front of people. You want to make sure you're not just asking that rating question. You want to make sure you're asking a follow-up of why. Hmm. So no matter what score I gave you, why did I give you that score? And that's where you're going to get the richness to drive real change. Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen the seven, the 30 and this sort of 90 day NPS scores. Um, maybe you've got other advice on that. Yeah. To me, a seven day, if you're seven days after you become a customer, that's too soon. You really haven't had a depth of experience with the company. You're either riding a high because you're feeling really good about your choice or you've had a bumpy kind of disconnected experience between what you expected and what you bought. I usually see net promoter score coming in after, and you know, the specific amount of time doesn't matter so much. It depends a little bit on your product or your service, but after people have been onboarded, after they've had a couple of experiences, at least with the product, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of more into their regular pattern of usage. So that again, you, you're, you're separating it from many of those more recent experiences. And then we typically see it deployed as a, a 
kind of a rolling annual survey. So you're not going out to every customer at exactly the same time. That creates kind of this point in time that familiar is an event at the company instead of a tool. Uh, but you're taking customers through it in waves so that as a business, you get this constant uh, kind of ticker of net promoter score that you can look at alongside your operational metrics, alongside your financial metrics and your score, because net promoter can fluctuate quite a bit because of the way it's calculated. And um, by asking it, going out consistently to your customers over time, you're mitigating any influence of blips in the market or glitches in your product delivery or whatever hiccups might come along, those are going to smooth out over time. Jen, I have a question just because this is a survey-based metric about response rates. Are you seeing any kind of trends out there that there's survey fatigue or that response rates are declining? Are you seeing those fairly flat? And what is what are some of the tips you might offer for getting the best response rates on a survey-based metric? Yeah, survey response rate is a kind of a constant challenge. Uh, they have been declining for sure. A lot of that is survey fatigue. People are getting surveys from every company they interact with about every interaction they have with them. People are more likely to respond when they, they do feel like they're in relationship with a company. You know, there are certainly things you can do in terms of the way that you're sending out those invitations, the the language you use and the invitation itself, how easy you make it for customers to respond, those kinds of things. But the biggest influencer that I've seen on response rates is, is a company actually doing something with the feedback that they get? So if I'm a customer and I feel like I've taken my time to give you feedback and it's gone into a void, the time you come and ask me for my input, I'm probably not going to give it to you. If I invest the time and I see you making change, now maybe that's individual follow-up with me or maybe that's more broad-scale change, but you're talking about it as having come from customer feedback, then I'm much more likely to give you that time again later. And if I didn't give it to you the first time, the more I see you using customer feedback, the more likely I become to participate in the next wave of invitations that comes out. I think that makes a lot of sense. And certainly from the, the fatigue point of view too, I, I like the idea of only going out to customers after, you know, after they've been onboarded, after they've sort of settled and understand the value and have a bit more of a relationship. And usually, I, I can't speak for all companies, but usually there's a barrage, barrage of sort of onboarding emails and tasks at the beginning, right? And yes, there's lots of fatigue and there's lots of noise coming through. So, you know, you sort of push that out a bit. Now, with all of that being said, is there a bias towards the folks that do answer this question? Are we, are we controlling that somehow? Are we always getting more positive or more negative? What, what, what are your thoughts on sort of the survey bias there? There's a lot of talk about survey bias and some of it's real. My experience would say it's not as big an issue as people think it is. The, the counsel that I usually give there, one, you want to make sure you're going out to either all of your customers or a random set of customers so that you're not injecting your own bias into the, the sample that you're collecting. The other, the other thing is whatever bias is existing in your 
at base, whether that's who's you know leaning towards responding or how you send it out, whatever those influences are, they're usually pretty consistent over time. So that bias might affect your score, but it's going to affect that score in the same way, period to period to period. So if you're looking at your trends, it's you're you're kind of washing that bias out. So I usually talk about getting, yes, you care about what the absolute number is, but the absolute number matters a lot less than is it going up or is it going down? Uh, And a lot of those biases won't influence the direction that that metric is moving. So, and I I think you're right. Let's, let's like consistency, and this goes for any metric that, you know, you're tracking. If you're if you're tracking it, measuring it consistently, you get that directionality. You, you get that change over time. If you're, if we do want to sort of avoid bias, uh, I know that some folks will put their NPS score inside of their app or inside of the mobile app. You know, is that is that is that influencing bias? Should we actually because only a fraction of the people are actually signing in? Or should we actually be saying, no, we're going to email everybody this NPS. And even though email has got, you know, even more noise and, and you know, you're less likely to get scores there. Like, is there, are, are you advising people one way or the other uh, on that front? So again, it's, it's a lot of, think about where your customers are. You might need to deploy your NPS in different ways to reach that broader base. So some of them are living in your app, great, deploy the, the question there. But think about the ones that aren't, right? And think about what's the best way to reach them. Is it email? Is there a different community that they're living in? And, you know, what's, what's the right way to reach out and try to access those different pockets of your customer? The other thing I really think a lot about is why are you asking this question in the first place? So what's your real objective behind going out to get whether it's net promoter score or any metric and who do you care most about so when you think about collecting metrics that are going to impact the future of your business if the future of your business is attached to in your example the customers who are living in your app then maybe that is where the only place you want to ask this question because that's that's the net promoter score in this case that you really care about. And that's the yardstick you want to use to be measuring. Are we getting better or not? Can we expect growth? Are we at risk for churn? Those kinds of things. So really having companies come back to why are we asking for this measure? And how are we going to use that to drive our business forward? And then being thoughtful about what's the customer input that we need to help us reach those goals. Yeah. Jen, could you talk a little bit about a B2B context? So this is a survey-based metric. And so in a B2B world, you might have different users. You might have someone who's footing the bill. How do you distinguish what the different responses mean in that world? Any tips there? Yeah. B2B gets a lot more complicated because typically you have more users within one customer account. And part of Part of what companies need to think about there is is really how do we build, I call it a listening ecosystem or a listening architecture that picks up the right kinds of feedback from each of those voices. So in a lot of cases with B2B customers, you do have some people who are really decision makers. So a lot of companies will say we've got a decision maker tier, we've got an influencer tier, so people who can 
have input into a decision, but they're not ultimately making it. And then you often also have a big peer of users who are more interacting potentially with your product on a day-to-day basis. And think about what are the right questions to ask for each of those. Something like Net Promoter that kind of sits at the top of this pyramid of, of metrics is probably best suited to your decision makers and maybe your influencers, but you want to recognize when you're when you're kind of separating out results that your influencer net promoter score may not be as attached to your business outcome as that decision maker score would be. And then you line up other kinds of measurements. So, you know, onboarding came up. Do I think we should ask net promoter right after onboarding? No. Is there a place to ask about experience with onboarding? Yes. And that might be more aimed at maybe that's the influence layer that really managed that uh, interaction. Product feedback, uh, maybe that's the user level that that's going out to. So you can start to create this pyramid of survey-driven metrics that reflects that full experience in the B2B customer base and feed that into your organization so that the right teams are getting the right feedback to drive improvements for the users, for the influencers, and then for the decision makers, where there's also typically not just a survey layer, but a, you know that feedback's being attached to more of a sort of quarterly review, some more qualitative engagement and executive engagement on the overall health of those relationships. So I wonder, like, as you're analyzing NPS, how do you like to sort of tear it apart? I mean, it's related to what we were just chatting about. Do you like to then track, you know, the persona, the you know, the geo, you know, the, the company, how often they're in the app or not in the app. Uh, what are sort of the, the most telling segments or dimensions that you like looking at? Again, a lot of it is depends on your business and, and what you're trying to drive. Certainly within B2B, that, that decision maker layer separate from the user layer in mm-hmm. particular yep. makes, makes a big, big difference. You might want to look at uh, kind of tenure. So longer, longer term customers versus that new base. Mm-hmm. Geography can be a factor. I found it to be less of a factor mm-hmm. in work that I've done. Even when we look, when we think about uh, global organizations, yes, there's differences in the scores, but typically the drivers and the themes are, are fairly similar. So I really think about more the, the kind of customer segments and whether that's personas or kind of user profiles and use that to look at what are the different things that I'm learning from my net promoter score. And again, that that why follow-up mm-hmm. question where a lot of the richness will come in that helps you shape how you respond uh, on a persona or segment basis. And, and then of course, who's who is using this data? Because I mean there's two there's two inputs, right? I mean there's the the audience that you actually get coming in to your, to your product, to your brand. And then there's the brand or the product itself, right? So, you know, the question is, do I have the right audience for what I'm offering? And, you know, then do I have the right product or service for this audience? So, you know, are you, are you finding that both marketing, product marketing and product teams are using this data or, or who's, who's sort of the owner of this typically? (laughs) That's a great question. (laughs) Uh, I would say there is no typical owner, but in a perfect world, yeah, product teams are using it, marketing teams are using it, sales teams are using it. You know, there's 
it's really a, an indicator that can be spread widely throughout the organization. It's often used kind of as that, as that one, again, customer health indicator. And I've seen companies that actually use, whether it's their net promoter or whatever loyalty metric they're using and uh, run that side by side with their stock ticker. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Screens, screens in their building. So there's sort yeah. of a customer metric and then there's a financial metric. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe they'll have one operational or an employee metric alongside it. Uh, but I've seen companies really use it broadly at that level. And then again, uh, and make sure they're deploying sets of that feedback out, whether it's the product development. Yeah, I've seen the I've seen the ENPS, like the employee NPS metric as well, that a lot of HR teams are using. So anyways, I... I wouldn't have guessed that they put it, you know, sort of high level on their stock ticker or right next to the stock ticker data. But but I think that's great, right? Like, let's make sure that the onus is always on us to improve, you know, how customers feel about the value here. Yeah. And it is, you know, it's, it's being used a lot now. You know, Net Promoter is getting really popular with VCs and other investors as this kind of stand in for customer stickiness and customer passion and future growth and all of and all of those things that are good, it was designed to be a measure to drive better customer experiences. So if you're a company that's really building around your customer and wants to keep your customer at the heart of what you're doing, having some customer metric be as visible as you know, your, your stock price or whatever else you're using as your key metrics really drives home that message that this is a company that cares about our customers and cares what they think about us. Yeah, that's such an important metric and or message. And as you were talking about the functions that are using NPS, you know, we could likely add in customer success and customer experience if there's a dedicated team or individual looking at that, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. And when there is, it's, you know, if, if you're lucky enough to have a customer experience team or a customer success team at whatever stage you're at, often they do own that customer feedback. Um, and that's, that's really a preferred, I'd say, situation because mm-hmm. they're close to the customer and, and have a little bit of neutrality. So they're not so attached to product feedback or support feedback or other kinds of feedback. I love the, I love the sort of the, the hidden message about the neutrality of metrics, right? I mean, that's that's a whole another blog post, right? You know, using data for for good and evil, right? So that's great. Yeah, data can tell any story you want it to. Yeah. <laughs> I want to pick up on something because we did a recent podcast where we looked at a situation where NPS might be giving a rosier picture because of a recent really positive experience than the actual value that a customer may be getting from a product. So the metric we were talking about was the Sean Ellis test, which many early startups are using as a gauge for have they found product market fit? Are people finding the product valuable? So I guess my question would be, are there metrics that you should really look at in conjunction with NPS to make sure you're getting a holistic view? Yeah, and and I really like that idea of value. It, It does get lost a little bit in that promoter. Uh, because I could recommend your product, but actually not plan to keep using it or not mm. find it valuable for myself. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, or I could say I might recommend your product. So I think attaching it to some measure of, of value or something that's more got more of the emotional component 
is a really good idea. I used to work a lot with a combination of a recommend question and then two other questions that got more at emotional um, connection with a brand or a company. One was actually uh, literally, I feel very attached to this brand. Mm -hmm. And the other one was, it would matter a lot if I couldn't buy from this company anymore. And that, that sense of what if it wasn't there? Is it valuable enough to me that it would make a difference in my life if I couldn't have it anymore? Really kind of ramps up that recommend question, which is, again, it's an intention. It doesn't mean that it's it's actually happening. So I like I like that. I like measures of better quality focused, quality of experience or quality of product that kind of get kind of get underneath a little bit it's you know a little more into the why but it starts to quantify the again it's a flavor of value or or goodness that's being delivered and then the other one i i do like a lot is the this idea of customer effort particularly at the beginning of a relationship so how easy are you making it for customers once they make a decision to work with you to actually get in and be a customer mm-hmm. and use your product or your service and kind of that the whole idea of seamless or frictionless experience and to me that's a, a really good early indicator of what's the rest of this relationship going to look like jen any parting advice for somebody who's just about to start putting nps in place and we've covered some of it but you know if you had to pick out a few like you know do this and this and this, you know, what would that be for NPS? So for NPS, I would say, go and look at the way you're supposed to be asking the question. So if you're going to use Net Promoter, use it properly. And that means ask the question the right way, use the right measurement scale, calculate it properly. Don't introduce unnecessary bias into the results by color coding your responses or putting big happy faces beside the, the nine and the 10 or any of those kinds of things. So really, if you're just starting, you have a chance to do it right. And I would say, think again about why you're using it and which customer set really is most important to you in terms of the future of your business and start there. Uh, maybe you want feedback from everyone and you want that holistic view. Um, but really be smart about the segments you're most interested in and set the structure of your survey up so that you can just kind of drill down into those segments. And I would say prepare the company for the feedback that's going to come in and make sure there is buy-in, not just for getting the measure, but for doing something with it and for accepting it, whatever it is. Maybe you're going to start doing an up promoter score and it's going to come in at a 12 and you're not going to be happy with that um happy or not that's your net promoter score so understand what it is and focus on driving the change and to do that the company needs to be ready and understand you know where why are we asking this what are the expectations going to be about taking action and responding uh and and worrying a lot less about what my number is compared to that 40% or this, maybe it's 70% that other people have and just worry about how do I use it to make my customer experience better and move me forward to the business outcomes that I really need. 
Jen, amazing. Uh, everybody, Jennifer Batley, consultant and strategist on NPS and making sure that we get value and the customer gets value out of this metric. Thanks so much, Jen. Yeah, thank you. A lot of fun. If you enjoyed today's conversation about metrics and data, be sure to check out Metric HQ, our online resource for the metrics that matter most to you and your business.